0: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Yes, indeed, and hello there. Good to have you with us, wherever you might be. Maybe you're hanging out around the house, as I am today, or uh, perhaps en route heading back from a uh, a hard day at work on this Wednesday the 15th of July. Let me not spoil it for you by reminding you that you now have five hours and 54 minutes to get your tax returns posted. Don't normally say that in mid-July, do we? Normally we're talking about enjoying time at the beach and vacation in Hawaii or wherever you might go for your um, summer vacation and this time vacation is uh, in the backyard and uh, We're paying our taxes in July. What a new world, isn't it? Well, good to have you with us today. (coughs) got a pretty important program for you tonight. Uh, Let me start just by making a a comment, perhaps to the obvious. Clearly, as we are looking today at the statistics of the impact of COVID-19 since December of last year, what between 585,000 deaths globally and 140,000 of those here at home in America it's shocking it's it's troubling at multiple levels for multiple reasons and yet as much as there is perhaps a justified cause for being upset maybe even outraged there's another statistics that i will share with you that sadly doesn't seem to garner yet nearly as much of a sense of outrage and yet it ought to because not unlike covid-19 the most vulnerable are being taken from us. And this has an issue that we have a ready solution to and have had lows since it was first made legal in America clear back in 1973. Now, according to a recent report released by the Guttmacher Institute, and this is available at the National Right to Life Committee's website, 61,628,584 Americans have lost their lives. Not because of a pandemic, although some might consider it that, but because of a voluntary and through a very warped sense of constitutional law codification by the Supreme Court in 1973, the so-called right to privacy, 61,628,000 Americans have lost their lives. Now, the good news is we've seen a significant drop in this. In fact, if you go back 30 years to 1990, it was a peak since 1973. Some 1,429,000 Americans succumbed to abortion. The most recent numbers that we've seen indicate last year that number had dropped all the way down to 862,000. So, it's heading in the right direction, but not nearly fast enough. The good news is, at a day and age when we used to argue whether or not this was a battle that could or could not be won, today, fortunately, because of the hard work of a lot of people, including my first guest tonight, we've moved from not a question of if we change things, but more simply and specifically, to when joining me now is best-selling author including her latest a heartbeat away how the heartbeat bill will pierce the heart of roe vs. wade she is the founder and president of faith to action an organization committed to winning the culture and certainly at the end helping to uh, provide the necessary drive and architecture behind pro-life heartbeat bills across the nation you have seen her on a variety of media outlets from cnn nbc cbs abc mickey and a whole list of other alphabet soups and we're pleased to have join us on the program tonight janet porter janet good to visit with you
2: oh it's great to be back again craig hope you're doing well my friend uh, we
1: are we are staying safe and staying well under the uh, the circumstances, and I don't mean to poke fun of the alphabet soup there of all the places where you've okay. made appearances down through the years. But,
0: but uh, Actually, I on
2: we're uh, doing a CNN a a campaign, CNN a compliment with that. <laughs> <laughs> <rendition>. Yes, <laughs> yeah, especially C-K-E-Y. with the M I C
1: K E Y part of it. Yes, indeed. With all due all respect about a fantasy to the world, mouse, world, isn't it? You Some got call it, it news, right.
2: We call it fantasy. They call it fantasy. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: That's it. Now, on on that very note, there was a day in an age not that long ago. In fact, when I first got involved in the pro-life movement in the late 80s, there was a sense that while we knew we had a lot of work before us, sometimes secretly and amongst ourselves, there were discussions that, well, you know, we're raising awareness and we're, we're very prayerful, but it's just a fantasy to think that Roe versus Wade will ever be overturned in this society, in this environment, in the current culture. And yet here we sit all these years later, and there has been significant strides in that direction. And, and of course, we certainly celebrate one of them that you have been instrumental in. And you tell the story inside the pages of this new book, A Heartbeat Away, of really the concept that, that when you first sort of even floated the idea you were also met with kind of a similar sense of response, and that is, Janet, that's just a fantasy.
2: That's what they told me. In fact, I I remembered even, even deep into this battle that I had pitched this idea that said, listen, if we can't rescue every child just yet from the burning building of abortion, let's at least carry out as many as we can. And that's when I pitched an idea. It was in a conference in the 90s in Chicago that said, hey, let's protect them from from their first heartbeat or from when we can first hear it. And I'm telling you, Craig, I got shouted down. There were people who were red in the face saying, how dare I question the well-thought-out legislative strategy of the movement? Here's one of the things I've learned. And, and they say, you know, who did I think I was anyway? I'm a kid out of college and these are people who are judges and legislators and, and, and I had a lot of learning to do. Well, this is what I learned in all of those decades. We, we've, we've read, you've read the numbers. We've killed more than 60 million Americans. There's a body count of a million lives killed legally by abortion every single year. You can call the pro-life movement a lot of things, but success is not one of them. And so if we want a different result, we have to try a different approach. And so uh, it was actually at the funeral of uh, one of the gentlemen who was who was angry at me for suggesting such an idea in the 90s that the idea came back. It was reborn. And uh, it, it basically says, uh, let's draft a bill that ensures if a heartbeat is detected, the baby is protected. Very simple. It says, let's use that standard medical uh, measurement that science has given us to determine whether anybody else is alive. I mean, we all have, have seen the heart monitors in hospitals. We know they're not there for decoration. They're checking to see if someone's alive. If you have a flat line, you're not. Uh, we check for a pulse. Everybody understands if there's a heartbeat, there's life. It's not the beginning of life, but it is a recognizable indicator that we, have, if we recognize everywhere else. And the heartbeat spill says, hey, let's no longer ignore it when it comes to the youngest members of the human family.
1: And we understand, of course, that this invokes questions of a medical nature, certainly a bioethics nature, and science has long debated this question of where and when and how, the beginning of life, and so on and so forth. And, and, And certainly to those greater details will allow, at least for the moment, scientists to continue to debate But what is not up for debate, but I think any reasonable person, sans any sense of of medical experience, background, or doctorate in the field, can agree, if a heartbeat is detected, that is a viable life and therefore should be protected.
2: That's right. And you know what? People are agreeing with us all over the country. Uh, We first uh, uh, got put the idea in my heart back in October of 2010. Uh, We introduced the bill in Ohio in 2011, and since that time, 29 states have introduced heartbeat bills, and they have passed in now 10. Arkansas, North Dakota, Iowa, Kentucky, Mississippi, Georgia, Missouri, Louisiana, Ohio, where it all began, and just a week or so ago, uh, in the state of Tennessee, uh, Governor Lee signed that bill. uh, and, and, And here's the thing, you know, we've heard that that they're being struck down at the, at the appellate level. We understand that just happened in Georgia, but that's part of the process. Each of these bills are finely crafted arrows designed to pierce the heart of Roe v.ersus Wade and deliver the fatal blow to abortion on demand. But to get to where we need to go, we've got to go through the court system. And, and that really brings us back to, uh, uh, to why, why I wrote the book and dedicated it to president donald j trump and i know a lot of people have some problems with maybe something he's done in his past or i have problems with things i've done in my past whether maybe a tweet he didn't like but but i want to tell you this um we do we've not had a more pro-life president and and we've now found out in the latest supreme court rulings we need some more judges on that court and the only way to get them the only way to end abortion in our lifetime is to see president trump re-elected in fact here's what he said um, unborn children have never had a stronger defender in the White House. He said those words at the March for Life uh, in Washington, the only president to ever speak there in person. He says, they are coming after me because I am fighting for you, and we are fighting for those who have no voice, and we will win because we know how to win. I'm going to get this book in his hands somehow, Craig. It says the heartbeat bill is the way to win. I wrote it on the dedication page because I want the president to see it. The establishment is happy regulating around the edges of abortion, but we've got to do more. We've got to end it. I'm sick of talking about it. I'm sick of marching about it. I'm sick of regulating it. It's time for the killing to end, and it needs to end now. And the good news is it's catching on like wildfire, as now almost uh, uh, now 20, 29 states have introduced this bill, and 10 and counting have passed it. So it's, it's, it provides the pro-life movement what it's been missing. For 47 years, what's been missing is a pathway to victory, a clear path to victory, because this bill will protect nearly every child facing abortion. You know What we did to get it through is we, we had to use some creative tactics, and I'll tell you one of them. We actually brought in the youngest to ever testify in Congress and in the legislature in, in Ohio. We, we rolled a mobile ultrasound into the hearing room, and in Ohio, it was a nine-week-old little baby girl named Haley, whose heartbeat was seen on the screen for all the committee members, was heard. By the way, just the publicity of that hearing, of that baby, saved a life. I saw his picture of a little baby boy named Aiden. I saw his picture on Facebook, and the same happened in Congress. We brought in an 18-week baby boy named Lincoln, baby Lincoln, who I think will be useful uh, used to emancipate the next generation, when his heartbeat was seen and heard in the Federal Judiciary Committee, there was silence in the room. And one of the women who was formally disruptive, uh, she had on the protest gear and all of the rest, but when that heartbeat was heard and when it was seen on the screen, she was seen wiping away tears from her eyes. And that's when I learned, Craig, that if a heartbeat of this unborn baby can reach even the hardest of hearts, it can reach America. And it turns out well, and you know what's, it
1: has. what's. What's beautiful about that is because it is such a significant game changer and talk about the intersection of timing here that along about the point of which you were beginning to suggest, hey, we need to come up with a clearer, more direct way of communicating this message to the average American so they can understand it and get behind it. And right at that same time, developments were advancing um, in ultrasound that provided the means by which, even for the doubting Thomases, and I've seen this uh, myself as well, uh, Janet, on so many occasions where a couple may be thoroughly unconvinced and they bought into the it's just a blob of tissue lie, and then suddenly they're able to hear the actual heartbeat of the baby, even see it on the screen, and... Suddenly now, it's quickened to their understanding. Yes, we're talking about a viable human being here. And as we've suggested, this is becoming a significant game changer. Now, we're going to take a time out. When we come back, I'm, I'm curious of all states that kind of seems to teeter-totter back and forth between conservative one day, liberal the other, red today, blue tomorrow. Why Ohio? With us today is Janet Porter, best-selling author. She is the architect of the heartbeat bill that's been passed in multiple states across the country and considered by many to be a significant game changer in the pro-life movement. She, of course, also the founder and president of Faith to Action. Information available on the web at f, the number 2A, f2a.org. A timeout, an update on traffic, then we'll get back to more of our conversation with Janet Porter right after this. Right now, that conversation, the KFAX Traffic Center.
0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: For years, well, virtually decades, the pro-life movement has struggled to create a unifying, clear-cut message. And quite frankly, so often, those on the other side um, the the purveyors of, of abortion who make a lot of money in this, have worked very hard to try and confuse the issue, complicate the issue, distract people, so that folks just have a sense of, well, this is just too deep, too mired in, in controversy and politics to really speak up on. But, you know, I, I compared earlier to the sense of outrage over the tragic loss of life in relationship to COVID-19, and, you know, people upset, rightfully so. You know, we're, we're seeing our loved ones uh, taken from us, and, and it's needless. And the same thing is true of abortion. The difference is that there's been this argument that, well, when exactly does viability of life come into the picture? And uh, if we could only ascertain that, if we could only settle that question, and I've had folks that have identified as Christians and yet, not necessarily pro life. They'll say personally they're not in favor of abortion, but they don't want to get involved in the politics of it. And then they will say, well, you know, if we could only settle the question. Well, this is a game changer. It settles the question. When is the child viable? When there's a heartbeat. With us today is Janet Porter. She is the author of a number of best selling books. Her latest, A Heartbeat Away How the Heartbeat Bill Will Pierce the Heart of Roe versus Wade. Now, Chad, you mentioned before the break about Ohio being the first place for ground zero, and, and I, you mentioned that, and I thought, hmm, that's an odd choice. I don't know that I would necessarily think that to be a soft, receptive ground. How did Ohio become sort of the initial uh, ground zero?
2: That's a very good question. Um, Ohio became ground zero because that is my home state. Uh, it is uh-huh. a state whose motto is, with God, all things are possible, and uh, I believe that. Uh, Jesus was the one who said it, so we know that it's true. But what happened was, uh, we were living in Florida 10 years ago, and we had just moved back to Ohio, and my husband looked at me as we we're moving in. He says, he says, why don't you outlaw abortion while you're here? And I think what a lot of faith-filled people might do, you know, a woman of great faith, I, I laughed at him. I looked at my watch and I said, sure, I've got a few minutes, let me knock that out. It seemed impossible. It seemed too big. And yet, uh, about two weeks later, God put the idea in my heart for a bill to protect babies from when we hear their hearts begin to beat. And we turned out, took out a poll, a national Barna research poll, uh, and we found out that America agrees that if a doctor can determine, detect the heartbeat of an unborn baby, that baby should be legally protected. And 86% of Republicans said, yeah, we want a law like that. Seven out of 10 in America, 69% overall, favor the heartbeat bill. And I don't know if you're sitting down, Craig, but a majority of, yes, Democrats believe a heartbeat bill should be made into law. Fifty-five percent of Democrats, according to a George Barna scientific poll. And that's the thing. Uh, In Ohio, what what I believe makes the book of value, why why heartbeat away matters, because even if you live in a purple or blue state, I'm telling you, there is a benefit to getting this bill introduced. It educates people. It saves lives just from the publicity. But there's a chapter. uh, There's actually a... Uh, uh, several chapters on how to overcome what, uh, what, what the, the obstacles that, 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 you're probably finding in your state, like the rhinos, the Republicans in name only. We actually had to run against these guys in the Senate. We had three election cycles. We ran against the Senate, uh, leadership. I actually, I actually ran against the Senate president, Craig, made him spend a uh, million point three, 1.3 million dollars to slander me on every television, radio station. But you want to know what? We cost him and we wore them down, and we, 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 we just exposed their, their uh, obstruction. Because these are people, and it's happening all over. It's happening in Congress, where they tell everybody how pro-life they are for decades. They've been using us to uh, to to, uh, to uh, using babies to get elected, rather than using elections to save babies. And what we did is we took out full page ads. We actually had an animator make a cartoon that we put on television and through social media. We actually had a Speaker of the House say that I'm going to bring your bill to the floor for a vote because. I don't want a cartoon made about me. And so we tried every creative way you can imagine. I mean, I own a three story heart balloon that says, Pass the Heartbeat Bill Now. We took an airplane, flew it over the State House. We, we delivered 4,000 red heart balloons, 2,200 red roses, and, and the, the number of babies the Heartbeat Bill would save every month. We did what, every, every idea you could think of, and then some. So wherever you are, Whatever state or nation that you may live in, this is a a, a manual of how to get it done. And we are talking to other nations. Uh, I talked with a member of the Knesset in Israel, uh, people in Asia. They're working on drafting a heartbeat bill now in Japan. Um, And so it's taking not just the country by storm, but but the world yeah and
1: I want to say something to your point regarding the the democrat support i I, I think that you know like a lot that relates to the confusion um, surrounding abortion and 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 quite frankly a campaign of misinformation. Certainly the Democrat Party, as a party, and as part of their platform, has steadfast held in favor of abortion on demand since 1973. There's no doubt about that. That's just simple fact. You don't believe me? Look it up. That said, oh, and
2: I've got I think that you,
1: and, and as you suggest, I think that when you dig deeper and you talk to Democrats directly, you find out that a tremendous percentage of them are, Pro life, but they either don't know how to articulate it or worse yet are afraid to articulate it because of the political. Blowback, and have been in this awkward position of kind of secretly saying, "Well, you know, I I really do value life, and I'm a parent or a grandparent, and I I love kids, and no, I don't want children's lives being taken from abortion, but I don't know how to stand up for this. I don't know how to how to state my case in an articulate fashion that doesn't end up destroying relationships." Well, the heartbeat bill, and 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 the pure. Uh, sense of what it's built upon is really that, as I said before, Janet, that game changer that now suddenly people can articulate a position and say, look, it's as simple as this. If there's a heartbeat present, then there's life present.
2: You know, it's so true. We had one Democrat in Ohio. His name is Bill Patman. He is a champion. And to kind of give you the idea of what this battle has been like, we passed the bill three times. It was vetoed twice. Before we finally got it through in 2019, but there was one Democrat. He and I tag teams and said, "Look, we've got to pick up 15 votes to get veto-proof." You know, these are votes we never had before, and we ended up getting—we uh, had to get—we had to get 60 votes uh, rather than just the, the 50 to pass it out of a 99-member House of Representatives. And uh, we were there in the in the session, and we fell short by two votes, and and and. and Turns out the Democrat that he and I uh, had tag teamed, his name is Glenn Holmes. Ten minutes after the vote, he went forward and voted yes, which means we were now 59 to 35, we actually had one vote away, and we had to track down a member who had left early. I drove through the blizzard to go get this woman and bring her back, <laughs> and to the shock and awe of everyone, we got veto-proof in the House, uh, We lost by one vote in the Senate. But here's the thing. that The main obstruction was not the Democrats. It was not Planned Parenthood or Naral. The, the, the subtitle of the of the book says the shocking betrayal no one saw coming. The biggest opponents we had to the most protective pro life bill was Right to Life. That's right, National Right to Life, Ohio Right to Life. They actually came and testified, standing right next to the ACLU and Planned Parenthood against the bill that would protect more babies than everything else we've ever passed. Combined, and yet when we passed it through the House and the Senate, they called for a veto. Craig, and then they celebrated with the abortionists when Governor Kasich vetoed our heartbeat bill in Ohio twice. This is and why problem. because they felt it's it didn't go far enough. What 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 what's so what's they, the reasoning behind that? They said they they, they spoke out of both sides of their mouth. They claimed it didn't go far enough. But their bill was a bill that would protect only 1% of the babies. The pain-capable bill would protect only 1%. This would protect, according to Dr. Wilkie, the founder of the pro-life movement, would protect 95% of the babies. And as the pro-aborts came in and testified that this will end all abortions, this will outlaw abortions, why? because they know it. The abortion industry is motivated by money, and they're very likely not going to stay open for a fraction of their business. So this would probably close down the abortion mills, but but the Ohio Right to Life, National Right to Life, Michigan, Tennessee, Texas Right to Life, Missouri Right to Life, Indiana Right to Life, all opposed the heartbeat bills I think primarily because it wasn't their idea. It was a turf battle, and it wasn't until they could do no more damage to the bill that Ohio Rifle Life ran to the front of the parade, took credit for the bill that they fought the hardest against, uh, and claimed it was their greatest success. It was absolutely crazy, well, and yet that's what's happening around the country. If you're making donations out to Rights to Life, you need to rethink that, because they are the ones standing in the way of the most protective pro-life bill that will keep hearts beating around the country. And uh, it's appalling, but everything is documented, everything is footnoted. You'll see that I'm not making a thing up. We've experienced it for 10 years. We fought it, and uh, the good news is we were able to overcome even that obstacle of, of uh, the people who should have been with us that fought us the hardest.
1: Well that's certainly that that's an, a new assertion that I've never been exposed to uh, exposed to before. We're going to have to to look into that. It it you know I, I know that certainly historically there have been challenges oftentimes of a sense that well as certain measures are brought forward uh there was the personhood bill that also came out a number of years ago and uh um uh, was talked they about yep that too, Craig. For, yeah, they, uh, that they that that, that, that that's been up for too. debate. So, you know, there there's got to be, you know, there's always the story behind the story and and you know, as I say sometimes it's an issue of well just not not doesn't go far enough and uh, you know, I've often argued that this is a this is a a war that's not going to be won in one fell swoop overnight. It, they didn't certainly change hearts and minds leading into the 73 decision overnight, and we're not going to reverse it overnight. But like any war, you, you win it battle by battle, inch by inch, until finally we can declare victory. Janet Porter, it is called A Heartbeat Away, How the Heartbeat Bill Will Pierce the Heart of Roe versus Wade, available now, and you can check it out online at f2a.org. That's Faith to Action. So F, the number two, a. dot. Pardon me. dot And all choked up there. F2a.org. Five thirty-six from KFAX, Let's get you an update on traffic.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right, thank you. We are back. Well, that was about the fastest door slamming that we have seen in a long time. Normally, California is not the kind of state that can pivot on a dime and make decisions, but certainly the issue related to. The opening of our fair state is one that has demonstrated this pivoting Um, and a lot of people are being affected by this and you know this is one of those cases where it's too early to tell and it may be years before we can fully ascertain and count the cost of the impact of COVID-19 and not just simply the disease and the death toll. But also the impact in relationship to how we have responded to it, failed to respond to it, confusingly responded to it, or inconsistently responded to it. And if you talk to merchants, and um, for that matter, pastors up and down our state, they'll say that certainly one of the big hallmarks of California's handling of this under Gavin Newsom has been one word, summed up in one word, inconsistent. Let's get the latest on this situation. As the governor has now um, said, an additional 30 counties are yet closed once again and no more church. Not that that lasted long. Brad Dacus joins us, constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. You know, normally on something like this, you don't need a, a scorecard to keep track of the governor's decisions, Brad. But here it seems as if it's an absolute necessity.
3: Yeah, it it really is. Uh, this is a, a major switch in uh, uh, a direction that many people in California were very disappointed to see uh, made. Um, there's, uh, you know, there, we're talking about 30 counties uh, across the board, for the most part, the shutting down of businesses, uh, but also churches are a part of that. And I tell you, Craig, we at Pacific Justice we analyzed it, and we what we did is we sent a an analysis of the. Order and and the options uh, that churches still have um, in in view of that that order, Uh, we sent that out yesterday yesterday and we're we still have churches and pastors uh, calling us, getting more clarification on what their options are.
1: What was the the misstep in the beginning here? And and I've suggested that there's been a a, a tremendous amount of back and forth. We're open, but no, not quite. Well, we're open, but only this so far. This this really sense of of confusion. Was there a misstep in the beginning, in your opinion, by not creating one single set of clear-cut guidelines that would have, and this is what seems to me, you can comment on this better, perhaps counselor. But it seems to me that the one thing was lacking was that some decisions were being made in a vacuum and none of these decisions were made with a sense of, of unity where you would sit down with government leaders, sit down with medical experts, sit down with the pastors of the churches that are going to be impacted and say, okay, we have a challenge here. How do we allow church to do what it does best while at the same time protecting lives. Why did that never happen seemingly from the beginning?
3: Yeah, and it's most unfortunate, and I think this shows the power of of politics and political thinking, Uh, and many people sort of say, well, that's just the norm. Well, that norm becomes very costly uh, in times like this, uh, where we have a severe uh, economic impact that wasn't even fathomable, I don't believe, by those uh, political gurus, uh, you know, looking at it from sh- uh, strictly more of, a, of a, a political perspective, in my opinion. Uh, we have, for example, we've had a, a sharp increase in suicides and depression, um, in domestic violence issues that have come into play. Uh, we even have a projection of a, of a sharp increase in, uh, serious and possibly incurable cancer cases because of, uh, the hospitals denying, uh, just, uh, general physical exams and care that would um, reveal that in a timely fashion. There's, there's a lot of ramifications that, that happen when politicians uh, are very narrow in their focus and really don't look at the, the big picture. Fortunately, we have states um, other states across the country that were much broader uh, and balanced and, yes, require masks and, yes, require distancing and these different uh, criteria were able to function uh, at, at or even better uh, results than California uh, and they uh, they did so in a, in a very responsible way. And churches, of course, are opening, and, and we don't have churches with filled with people getting it. And because of these per, these precautionary measures, we at Pacific Justice have a, a checklist uh, on our website just for that reason. So um, it's unfortunate, but I think that narrow political perspective, as you alluded to, I, I think that that uh, there's a price that's paid, and, and we in, Calif- in California are paying that price.
1: Well, we talk about community health. It would seem to me that the community ought to be involved in making those sorts of decisions. And to be sure, there's been a lot of um, bad science in this. There's There's been bad yes. blood, bad thinking, bad politics. I mean, all, all the way around, there's there's plenty to blame to, to go in, in every direction. But, you know, one of the biggest shortcomings, perhaps, is the failure to recognize that unlike a business who can suddenly shift what they do, perhaps online or maybe already has a strong online presence and so pivoting in that direction can uh, the preserve the income flow. Uh, when you're running a church, aside from doing the so-called virtual uh, church service on Sunday or having a radio program, we certainly account, account that in as, as critical uh, ministry but nevertheless, the, the The fellowship and many of the things that the church does for which internet and radio can never, and I'll say that again, can never be a substitute... Uh, was just sort of dismissed out of hand without considering the enormous amount of not just uh, e- emotional and spiritual impact, but the economic impact as well. And I've talked to, to many pastors, uh, names that I could mention right now that will be immediately known to, to you and to the KFAX audience saying, gee, I didn't realize they're struggling like that. Yes, absolutely, because of, again, so many missteps in the way all of this was rolled out by the governor's office.
3: Yes, and uh, that we've we've seen a, a, a number of missteps. Unfortunate. Unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, you know the uh, something else of concern is going to be the shutting down of, of schools and state universities. Uh, you know, online they're online, nothing in person. Uh, I just hope that the governor uh, does not uh, overplay his hand any more than he already has, and and have an order affecting private universities and colleges that really should be making their own. A decision, private schools making their own decisions, even schools, public schools on a local level, um, it should not have, um, you know, these, these kind of pronouncements uh, on a go- on, by the governor and, um, and his team. It would be very insensitive to the, the need for communities and localities to assess their own risks and, and take their own uh, appropriate measures.
1: This is clearly, Counselor, a moving target to be sure if folks, if pastors listening right now want to get a little bit of insight as to what exactly uh, are their rights and obligations and responsibilities under the law as opposed to what oftentimes is just wishful thinking. Are there resources available at the Pacific Justice website?
3: Well Yes, there are. We have our, our uh, checklist for churches that want to stay open. Uh, we have also our, our legal analysis of the, the governor's order It really spells out real clearly uh, what the options uh, for churches are uh, moving forward. And we also have material for private schools trying to plan to reopen uh, in a a somewhat regular way this this fall. So those are all there without charge on our website, pji.org.
1: Balance, that seems to be the one thing that's largely been missing from this since the very get-go, trying to just strike that harmonious chord. I know it's difficult with so many challenges and and a lot of fearful fearful thinking out there, but we need to strike some sense of harmony or balance in addressing this. Information again, those resources without cost or obligation at the pji.org website. That's pji for Pacific Justice Institute, pji.org. Our thanks to Counselor constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dakis, for being with us. 549 an update on traffic right next.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right, welcome back to the conversation. A couple of key things that I want to, uh, to talk about. We're going to get to the elections in just a moment. Before we do that, though, uh, there was a story out of Austin, Texas that was very troubling. It is the story of what happened at St. David's Hospital to a young man, young to me anyway, 46-year-old Michael Hickson, who went there like many Texans, because he was having difficulty breathing, had been subsequently diagnosed with COVID nineteen. Michael, by the way, for the record, is a quadriplegic. We know them. Right? Johnny Erickson Tato is a quadriplegic. And yet her life, like Michael Hickson's life, extremely valuable in God's eyes. And yet that didn't seem to be the opinion of the attending physicians at St. David's in South Austin, to the point where, contrary to the wife's own desires, the hospital insisted that all life saving medication and uh, treatment be withdrawn simply because they thought, well, on the scale of 1 to 10, he doesn't hit the number we're looking for. This is more of the troubling impact of the culture of death that has existed in our society for many, many years, has its roots, to be sure, in the 73 decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. Joining me now to comment, Brian Johnston with the California Pro-Life Council, host of Life Matters, heard every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. And and, and Brian, I mean, these are the sorts of very types of situational ethics that we've warned people about for years where suddenly... You have some bureaucrats, essentially, making these kinds of life and death situations, even taking the family out of the equation. It's it's very troubling.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, Craig, and thank you. I want people to know it was you that sent this article to me, and I appreciate that very much. But you're exactly right. It underscores that we want people to understand what happened in '73 was not merely that abortion was legalized and we do of those babies. There was so much more, and we're seeing our society now, it appears, God willing, it won't completely crumble, but it is crumbling around us. And in 1973, what took place was something that cut at the very basis of our most important cultural profession, and that is the medical profession, because it assaulted medicine. Literally, the law throughout the entire nation proclaimed you can hire a physician to now do what the Hippocratic Oath for 3,000 years kept doctors from doing in an ethical society. You can hire a physician to kill, to kill targetedly, but kill. But if you read both Roe and Doe, the Doe versus Bolton decision has much more power, because in it, Justice as Blackman said, the ultimate decision-maker is the abortionist. That if the woman's health is in danger, and then it's spelled out health as emotional, psychological, the woman's age, any other sociological factor... If the attending physician felt it was necessary to protect that psychobabble health, then the attending physician was licensed to protect her health, not her life, her health. And you have the doctors with the sole authority to kill. It's their decision. This inverted the practice of the profession of medicine. And... We lost so much that day, but even many pro-lifers don't understand this battle. And so you do, Greg, and thank you, and as you know, what we do in Life Matters and through the California Pro-Life Council and the National Right to Life Committee and really the pro-life movement, we're desiring to equip people to understand now this battle because I'll be honest with you, and in particular this case, the only recourse you'll have, and you need to know this could come upon you. If there's a serious automobile accident, if something happens, these certain doctors have the authority of life and death, and they don't care what your desires are. They don't even have to follow written directives. It's not chilling. And so I do want to give a warning. You need to be ready to contact a lawyer almost immediately, because a lawyer is the only <laughs> professional that many of these doctors fear. Because that attorney can take away their right to make the big bucks. And, and you know, I
1: understand costs. that the, yeah. the challenge that often these hospitals are facing, particularly right now in, in Texas with the big spike we've seen in COVID-19 cases and hospital beds that are premium, so on and so forth. But, you know, one one of the things that has been unique about America, save the topic, oddly, of abortion, has been our commitment to defending the vulnerable. If you think about it, what real business directly did we have in engaging in World War I? For that matter, yeah, I guess responding to the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in December of '41 was a motivator, but by no wise had any direct involvement in what was going on in the in the European theater, nor in Korea, nor in Vietnam, for that matter. It's been a long history that we've had, in big examples that I've just shared, and many others that are escape, uh, you know, scrutiny, but are there nevertheless. When we as Americans have stood up for the less vulnerable, and sadly, this is one arena where the creep of vulnerability and the willingness to redefine not just the value of life and the way we treat it, but even how we define life itself. Uh, it is continuing to move, and we've seen it happening with the impact of Roe v. Wade at the, the cradle end of the continuum to things like so called physician assisted suicide on the other end of the continuum, and now sadly in between. You know, we used to be shocked, it wasn't all that many years ago when. Um, Phyllis Schlafly, dear friend, late Phyllis Schlafly, came out with her book, Child Abuse in the Classroom, in the 1970s and and talked about and revealed to the public some things that were going on in public education, including the indoctrination of so-called situational ethics. And here we are. Then it was a shock that it was going on, and today more and more it's becoming a norm. And, it, and it's not only sad that doctors are being forced, in some cases involuntarily so, by their employer to make these kinds of decisions, but then worse yet, to take those decisions away from the family and when it comes to active suicide or murder, maybe more aptly put, when a doctor participates, to even take that away from the family. It is shocking what's going on. Yes,
0: it's euthanasia. And, you know, assisted suicide, the stats came out last week. We had a 20% increase of the reported cases in California. Again, we've talked about it. There's no failure to report penalties. And so if there's a botched or problematic case in the way, they simply don't report. But that's assisted suicide. And remember, that's a euphemism. If there's an assistant, that's a third party, a person involved in intentional killing. That will walk away. This is euthanasia. And you're seeing it now as in the case of this gentleman, the quadriplegic in Texas. But there's many people like that. You will be dependent at one time. As you know, I've met in many nursing homes in California. All of us at one time will be dependent for our health and care on others. And it's what you're saying, Craig. If we no longer protect the vulnerable, we have lost the very core of what has made us civilized. Now we're back to the law of the jungle. Well I'm stronger, I'm fit, I'll take care of me and other people that are like me, but why should I care for the vulnerable? They're just needless eaters. They're just a burden. They're financial and emotional baggage. So this is a very serious turn in our culture and we want to be prepared and it's not entirely gone because there are programs like like yours, and there are, there are folks like the listeners who want to know what to do, and you will have to be engaged. And, again, I hate to say it, if you are in a situation like this, are no folks that are, end up suddenly in a situation that the, the medical profession saying, nope, we're not going to follow your wishes. No, we are the arbiters of what happened here. You need to be quickly prepared to immediately get an attorney on the phone. I hate to be so precipitous, but that's how it is if you want to be involved in protecting the vulnerable. So this is becoming increasingly common, and it's only if you're willing to have knowledge and to take action that we can change this.
1: There's another issue I want you to, time is sort of fleeting here, Brian, but there's another important issue that dovetails, and that is this. Clearly, when things like this are being allowed by law, the law is changing and if the law mm-hmm. is changing somebody is in the state house somebody is in the in Washington DC that are writing the laws that have made the changes to allow these things to happen i mean california didn't pass the so-called physician assisted suicide bill several years ago in a vacuum somebody had to write the bill present it before the california state legislature etc cetera, etc cetera. so it really i think underscores the important value that we need to be fully participatory in the matter of self-governance. I think of that almost toward the end of the Gettysburg Address when uh, when Lincoln speaks to government of, by, and for the people. And there is a risk, by the way, of it perishing from this earth if we don't stay fully engaged in that. And, of course, uh, that runs the gambit from making sure that our voice is counted when there is an election, the next one coming up in November on the 6th, as well as our voice being counted by being out there and making ourselves available to serve our citizens by running for office. Speak to that if you
0: would. Well, that's right, Craig. Thank you. What we're looking at now, and if you're in the summer, but on July 13th, which was just two days ago, every county opened their offices. And yeah, you'll have to go in and wear a mask and do a little research, but In every county of California's 58 counties, there are very, very local offices, school board, city council, but also judicial, municipal judicial offices, where you may not know this, but attorneys that have passed the bar in California, you can actually run for a judgeship. And if you know of good attorneys, we need them. We know that our opponents get what they want through the abuse of the law, and to be honest, through activist judiciary that do not follow the principles of natural law or the Constitution. They are positivists. That means that they get to make up, oh, well, I think this would be a better law. Let's make up a new one. And so judges have been doing that, but someone who follows the principles of common law and natural law and understands the real foundation of our Constitution, we need lawyers like that. And literally. They can run for your municipal judgeship right in your town. And so I encourage folks, and again, maybe you're concerned about what's being taught in the government, public schools. You can have a voice in that because you're paying for those. Even if your children are not going to those schools, you can still serve on those school boards. I realize it's asking a lot, but we're in a real battle. So do consider... If you know people that you'd like to see that you think are are people of probity and responsibility, maybe you would suggest it to them. Uh, If you are, we want to help people like that at California Pro-Life. And, of course, we want you to be pro-life because it's a great challenge in all of these offices and we'll get you resources, information on it. If you do decide, you can send an email to info at californiaprolife.org. That's all spelled out, no hyphens, californiaprolife.org. Because California is a vast state, and unless we get involved, it says, you know, they don't say all politics are local. So, yes, there's a presidential election. It's a significant one. But here in California, I still hold that hope for California. We have a great history in California. And as Craig, as you just mentioned, really the history and the character of the American people is to speak truth. And defend
1: the vulnerable. And some, well, when you think about the uh, the destruction of on, Sodom yeah. and Gomorrah, it comes down to the notion that uh, it, it, there's a lot of, 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 of opinions as to why God destroyed it. But in the end, He was looking for just one righteous, just one mm. righteous man. So then, I guess the question is in the relationship to this particular topic here in our own state, all of us share a sense of frustration, to be sure but can we find just one righteous? 608, let's uh, get you updated on some traffic here. We'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center right now for an update.